people of the cross. If you were in Sunday school, you, you heard a song that we played at the end that, that talked about um, how we are the people of the cross. This morning, we aren't, we aren't going to be studying one passage like what we've been doing recently and working through the book of Ephesians. Um, we're actually going to be kind of jumping in a couple of different directions as we talk about persecution, and we talk about our life mission here on earth and what God has for us. Today is uh, International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, if, if you haven't realized kind of a theme of, of what we've been doing. Um, it's a day that Voice of the Martyrs has set aside. Um, and if you're not familiar with Voice of the Martyrs, pick up one of these magazines. Um, Richard Wormbrand and, and some of the information you see on the back, powerful, powerful stories. Um, but it's a day they've set aside to bring awareness to the persecution that is endured globally by our family members. We've been talking through the book of Ephesians how we're one body, we're united in Christ, right? And so if we truly believe that, that means that our brothers and sisters in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in Africa, we are one family. If I put my hand on a hot stove, what happens? What should happen? My brain should tell my hand, move. My arm moves my hand. My feet know I'm in pain as well, and I probably step back. And I hope you understand what I'm trying to say, that if one part of the body hurts, we should all hurt. How does, how does knowing the situation of other believers across the globe, how does that affect us? What change does it cause in your life? Does it cause any change at all? Hebrews 13.3 says this, Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. Mistreated, we could also say persecuted, those who are treated in a certain way because of their faith. I definitely wouldn't want the job that that man just had in the video. Yet what we watched in Sunday school, and, and we're reading different things, his, his job is much better than some of the situations in other parts of the globe. And here we, we drive to church and, and we have our, our Bibles and maybe we have multiple, multiple Bibles sitting on our shelves at home and we hear this and what change does it cause in our lives? Does it cause us to regularly pray for those who are being persecuted? There was an article in USA Today by a man by the name of David Curry. David Curry is actually in charge of Open Door Ministries, um, which is, again, we looked a little bit at in Sunday school. But here's what he writes. He said, like most of the culture, the American church is more concerned about college entrance scandals and Game of Thrones and persecution. Inoculated by entertainment and self-absorption, they are completely detached from the experience of the global church. The American church is feeding itself to death while the worldwide church is being murdered. How true is that? 
as I was reading through this, this article and I was, I was processing the different stuff that David Curry was, was saying and thinking to myself, what does that mean for us? What kind of change should it cause in our lives? Because it's so easy for us as the American church to turn a blind eye and to focus on movies and sports and music and entertainment and this and that and completely forget about what's going on in a different country because you know what? It's not happening to me yet. I mean, it happens in our short-term mission trips sometimes as well, doesn't it? Where we, we go over to another country with a specific goal in mind, and then once we're back, we completely detach from everything that they're going through. I can't tell you how many trips I've led where, where we come back, and in our debriefing session, people sit down in the chair, and they say, wow, this is going to change my life forever. And a couple weeks later, everything's back to the way it was. So what, what are we getting wrong? And when I say we, I, I'm not talking about you personally because maybe you in your life, you, you, you do say Jesus is completely worth it and you've went through difficulties and, and, and you've remained faithful. But I think the American church, big picture, has detached itself from global persecution. I think what we're getting wrong is that we don't truly believe and understand our purpose. I have a little illustration that I saw someone by the name of Francis Chan. Maybe you've heard Francis Chan before. And, and Declan said he's going to help me. So um, what I'd like to do is have Declan grab this string here, Declan. Let's find it. Here we go. Why don't you grab that string? And see you later. Keep going, Declan. I'll tell you when to stop. All right, you can stop. Now here's what I want you to, to imagine with me for a moment. That this rope is all of eternity. Now it goes, it goes, starts on the stage, it goes out the sanctuary door, and, and let's imagine together that this rope goes down Lighthouse Drive, and it goes down 472, and it goes into Lancaster, and out to Harrisburg, and past State College, and, and it goes from one state to another, and it goes across oceans, all the way around the globe, it never stops. This is eternal life. That's what this rope is. Here is our life on earth. Here is, here is where you were born, and right here is where you got that A-plus in fifth grade reading, and right here is where you met your spouse, and this part right here is, is where you work, and here's where you're retired, and what happens is, and I, and I think as the American church, we've found ourselves captivated by this, by this red Thing here. Focused on everything we can fit inside of this red thing. Our earthly life. 
When the reality of it is, is that life doesn't stop at the end of this red tape. It keeps going and going and going and going and going. And there's, there's an eternity and there's two places to spend eternity. And we need to be sure that we're at the right place. But not only that, you have the answer of how to tell people, of of how to make sure that they live with God for all of eternity. But see, (laughs) if if I tell this person here, this part of my life right here might be difficult. We've all found ourselves there sometimes. Declan, you can come back, man. You don't have to stand out there the whole time. You did a great job. Let's give it up for Declan. He did a, he did a great job. He practiced that so many times. So, <laughs> oh, you got to roll it the right way, man. No, I'm just kidding, dude. That's like <laughs> you can just throw that on the pew if you don't mind. Thank you so much. Scripture tells us that our purpose here on this earth is to glorify God. That's our, that is why we were created, to glorify God. And Jesus gives us a mission in Acts 1.8. He says this, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, when we do that, we glorify God. That's our mission. That's our purpose. Is Jesus and the spreading of the gospel. Maybe you're struggling with proclaiming your faith. Maybe you're someone who hides your faith from other people. You're afraid of persecution. I, I talked a little bit in Sunday school about this powerful movie that Sarah and I watched last night. And uh, called The Insanity of God. And the question throughout the movie was this. Is Jesus worth it? Is he worth taking your family and moving to a different country? Is he worth going to prison for? Is he worth losing your job for? Is he worth fracturing relationships for? And some of you this morning, you've already had to ask yourself that question. And you've already had to make a decision. And for those who have said yes, your faith encourages us all. Is the gospel worth being made fun of? Is it worth losing comforts? Is it worth moving to a different country, losing your job? Is it worth losing your life? Is Jesus worth that? I can only answer that question for me. You make that decision for yourself. I remember one time uh, being asked, and, I, and maybe we all think about this, but um, maybe it was growing up as an MK, I don't know, but being asked the question, if someone held a gun to your head and asked you to deny Christ, what would you do? We all hope that we'd be faithful. But what if standing for Christ means you lose your job? What if standing for Christ means you lose the promotion you've been working so hard to get? 
We're going to close this morning. And when I say close, don't misunderstand me. We're not done. This is the second half of the sermon. I probably should use a different word. We're going to keep going this morning. And we're going to look at one of my favorite characters in the scripture, and it's Peter. I, I like to call Peter the relatable disciple because sometimes he does things that are very relatable in our lives. See, Peter is the one who walks with Jesus, he talks with Jesus, he watches Jesus perform miracles, yet he struggles with different things throughout his journey. He doubts, he denies, yet he becomes bold. I think he's well-meaning, but he allows his circumstances to overcome, and we're going to take a quick glimpse through the life of Peter, because what I hope it encourages you with this morning is that if you're not in the place right now of standing for Christ, no matter what the situation, that Peter will show you that even though you've made a mistake in the past, God's working in the present. We're introduced to, to one of the situations of Peter in Matthew 14, 22 to 28. I'm sorry about that. I didn't do that on my computer. It said this, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. Just to clarify, he is Jesus, right? Jesus comes to them. This is such a familiar story in the Bible, walking on the water. I don't know about you guys, but I've tried to walk on water before. does not work. <laughs> does not work. Unless there's like this much water and a nice little thing underneath that makes you look like you're walking. It doesn't work. Jesus comes to them walking on the water. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart. It is I, do not be afraid. And Peter, in, in one of, maybe one of Peter's most famous stories in Scripture, he says this, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. This demonstration of great faith. God, if it's really you, let me walk on the water. Now, none of the other disciples said this that we know of, right? So Peter gets out of the boat. He has the guts to say to Jesus, let me come. Then he gets overwhelmed. By his circumstances. See, Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on water. And in verse 30 it says, When he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took a hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Maybe, maybe you are like Peter this morning. And, and God's called you to something. God's called you to witness to a friend, or to be a missionary, or to do this in your life. And you say, all right, God, if it's really you, <laughs> do this for me. And you take a step of faith. And God's being faithful. But you start to look around at the wind. 
and the waves. And, and the wind and the waves are scary. <laughs> because you and I don't control the wind and the waves. But he, he does. And, and maybe you're like Peter and, and you said, yes, Lord, I will, I will be faithful because I have the kingdom focus. I'm focused on what you want. And you take that step. But then your circumstances lead you to begin to sink because you take your eyes off of Jesus. There's another story of Peter that we read in the scripture in Matthew 26, verse 30 to 35. And what happens is Jesus says this. Let me read it to you. You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will scatter. Jesus is, is predicting his arrest and his death. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And this is what Peter says to him. Though they all will fall away, I won't. See, the other disciples, Lord, they might leave you, but not me. <laughs> not me. Jesus says to Peter, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter's response to that, you're wrong. <laughs> God, you're wrong. Because I, I won't deny you. I will die for you before I deny you. Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And then all the disciples said the same. We see Peter's love for God. We see his, his I will attitude. Lord, I want to be faithful. Lord, I'm well-meaning. I want to do what you want for me. But we know what happens. We know the story and how Peter denies Jesus three times. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe together in church, around fellow believers, you can loudly proclaim the name of Jesus, but, but when push comes to shove, you say what Peter says, I do not know him. Someone else said to Peter, you are also one of them. And Peter said, man, I am not. This was, this was one of the disciples. We know that when the rooster crowed, Jesus and Peter's eyes met. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Peter's guilt and shame and staring at his Messiah? <laughs> Must have been overwhelming. The, the bold, impulsive man of faith. Denied Jesus three times. But this wasn't the end of Peter's story. And for the times in our lives when we make mistakes, that doesn't have to be the end of our story. We serve a God who is forgiving, who is merciful. And one of the most amazing things about Peter is God uses his impulsivity and his boldness that he had used before and had sometimes found himself getting into trouble 
God used that for his glory. This man who was afraid, who denied Jesus three times, when Jesus rises from the dead, we see a change in Peter. To where Jesus tells Peter, you're going to die a martyr. And Peter proclaims the gospel boldly. See, the crazy thing about Peter is we see the instances where he denies God, where he allows his circumstances to depict what he does, but there's a change in Peter. And I think it's best described as a spiritual maturity that happens in his own heart. It's truly only the work of God in his life. The one who denied Jesus three times, who sunk in the water, goes on to be a bold teacher in face of persecution because Peter truly believes this, that Jesus is worth it. He's worth me going to prison. He's worth me being beat. He's worth me losing this. Jesus is worth it because that red part, guys, The rest of that white stream is forever. Remember when Acts, in Acts, when Jesus says, you will be my witnesses? That's because he's chosen to use us to carry the gospel message to the corners of the globe and into our community. I, I tell, all of these, tell this to you today because we can't change the past. We can't change what we've done, the times that we've, we've maybe not stood for Christ when we should have. But we can affect today. Maybe God has called you to be a missionary. To leave home and go in to tell people in other parts of the world who do not have the same benefits that we do of, and blessings that we do of, of having a Bible in our own written language. Maybe God's called you to that, and, and you've, you've said no and no and no, but you know God's called you to it, and now's the time when you need to say yes, because Jesus is worth it. See, my prayer is that at Mount Vernon, we're a place that's known for radical love, that carries the truth of the gospel to our communities in the corner of the globe. That's who we are. And this morning, as, as you leave, as you go and, and you eat your lunch with your family and, and sit down and, and talk about your day, let, let me ask you to reflect on this question. And the question is this, is Jesus worth it? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you do a work in our lives, in our hearts. Father, with all the freedom that we have in this nation, it seems like the whole nation should be turned to you. Yet at times, even with all the freedom, we keep you to ourselves. Father, may we not do that. 
But Lord, would you work in our lives that we could be bold proclaimers of your truth, that we would be your witnesses in Kirkwood and Quarryville and Oxford and Nottingham and Little Britain and all the communities to which we are a part and to the corners of the globe. Father, may we be willing to sacrifice what you call us to sacrifice. Because we truly believe that Jesus is worth it. Worth more than anything on this earth. That, Father, we could leave that example to the children of this church. That they could see the adults living with the perspective that Jesus is worth it. Father, we ask that you are glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.